Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Our show features our team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. And they'll help you make the most of your money while cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. You'll get clarity on strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Do you love history but hate when it's stuffy and boring? Well, look no further and join me, Katie Charlwood, your friend the neighborhood social scientist and reader of books, as I delve into unsolved historical mysteries, murders by gaslight, and of course, women who have been misrepresented through all time. On Who Did What Now, the history podcast that's not your history class. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, you want to sign up for the premium channel? Now's the time. Using promo code BOX for 30 days, you get free premium content. To take advantage of that offer, you have to do it before October 5th. Go to theboxofoddities.com or the Himalaya app. Promo code BOX. What follows may not be suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. The world is full of stories. Stories of mysteries, of curiosities, of oddities. Join Pat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth for the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected, as they lift the lid and cautiously peer inside the box of oddities. So, how was your day? You're such a dick. <laughs> uh, my day was okay. Yeah, tell us all about it. Well, I had a PAP exam. Uh-huh. How yeah. did how did that work out? <laughs> um, <clears throat> well, I don't like doing them. Mm-hmm. I uh, find them uncomfortable, and uh, my body hates it. So I tried to weasel my way out of it. Yeah. And the uh, doctor's assistant wouldn't let me. She said I hadn't had one since 2014, and so I had to. And so I had my lady exam today. Nice, mm. nice lady exam. Yeah. How does that go? I mean, being a guy, of course, I've I've never experienced mm. a lady exam. Sure. Um, well, um, there's the speculum, mm-hmm. which you know that's a little duck shaped thing. Sure. I, uh, I jam it in there. Looks like a little robot ventriloquist dummy. Something like that. Uh huh. Prop you open and uh, take a peek about. Uh, I was trying to get out of it though, and I told <laughs> I told the you were fighting this right till the yeah, end, weren't you? I was like, because uh, <clears throat> I I call uh, my doctor Adam because uh, that's his name. Uh, otherwise, that would be weird. And he <laughs> said, I I don't think that we really have to do this, uh, but she said we had to. And he was like, yeah, well, you know, it's probably a good idea. Believe me, I'm not looking forward to it any more than you are. <laughs> and I was like, thanks, Adam. <laughs> what does that mean exactly? I don't know. <laughs> but anyway, we did it. It's fine. Okay. 
I'm I'm all healthy and stuff. Good. I'm glad to hear it. I mean, it's important to to have it regular is. checkups and it all is. that business. I just don't like it. No, I don't. I don't like the whole prostate exam thing. Oh sure. You know the whole finger thing. The finger thing. The finger. Yeah. Well, you know, I go in for my checkup, and the doctor's like, "Okay, it's time for this," and I'll. Great. Bob, put your elbows on the table. Yeah. Okay. And then he, you know, he puts the glove on. Mm. Okay. Drop your pants. And then he, you know, does the exam. And, uh, well, last time he, <laughs> I hear him taking the glove off and throw it in the garbage and going, well, that made my day. I hope it was good for you. <laughs> I think a little humor always helps. Yeah, yeah. Wouldn't it be weird if uh, you were telling someone that story and they were like, I'm sorry, he what? <laughs> and like your whole, that was just a lie. and That wasn't actually a thing that they had to do. Like there was yeah, no, right. yeah. like, like, what are you talking about? That's never happened. Nobody ever has to have a doctor do that. <laughs> Time for a new doctor. Mm. Who goes first this episode? I go first. <laughs> You say it with such confidence. Yeah, uh, I'm going I'm to buy into it. Okay. Well, that's just it. It doesn't. You don't have to be confident as long as you sound you are. Sure. Sound like you are. That works. I don't know. Masha and Dasha Krivoshliapova were conjoined twins born in Moscow in March of 1950. Now, these little girls had one body that contained a joint circulatory system, two separate nervous systems. And shortly after they were born, the twins were taken from their mother, who was told that they had died of pneumonia just after birth. But they did not die. In reality, they were uh, transported to a nearby medical institute in Moscow, where they became the subjects of extensive, life-altering experiments. Oh, my goodness. I've heard of Masha and Dasha, but I didn't know that... They were stolen from yeah. their mom. They, they were stolen from their mom. Now, if you've never seen a picture of Masha and Dasha, let me describe their condition. From the waist down, two legs and a waist. Okay. From the waist up, two separate upper torsos. Okay. When they walked, which they did with, uh, with, with crutches, they walked along with... Two legs, just like anybody would. Mm -hmm. So they were, their torsos went out kind of like making a peace sign yes. with your fingers? Yeah. Okay. According to Ranker, uh, the USSR approved experiments on the twins. And of course, it, you know, it was still the USSR back then. They subjected the sisters to isolation and different types of torture and a life pretty much lacking any human interaction oh other than God. with the medical staff they were laboratory animals that's pretty much how the, they were treated that's terrible and to complicate this as the sisters grew they their own personalities started to uh to come out their individual personalities but they were diametrically opposed personalities one showed the traits of an empath mm -hmm. the other showed the traits of a psychopath. Oh. Now, like I mentioned, they shared the same circulatory system, but they had separate nervous systems. And because of that, the scientists were particularly interested in them. They tested each twin's reaction or perhaps their lack of reaction 
to the other's physical stress. So what they would do is they would, you know, perhaps poke one of the twins with a sharp pokey thing Mm -hmm. and then see how the other one would react or if they would react. Right. They used all kinds of tactics, like they would cover one twin in ice while the other twin was observed for reaction. Similar experiments were also conducted with extreme heat. Now, is this their reaction like emotionally or their reaction physically or both? Both. 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 But I think initially they were interested in the physical reaction. They wanted to see if they could, you know, if they poked one of the twins in the arm, Did if the, the other, other twin would go ow. Got it. Uh-huh. They even went as far as to inject them with radioactive iodine. Mm. They were also probed with electronic probing instruments. They had tubes inserted into their stomachs to measure gastric juices. And, you know, one of them would, uh, they would put a tube in one of them's, one of their stomachs and the other one, they would starve and see if the gastric juices in the other child's stomach was affected by lack of food. They were deprived of sleep. And this was all pretty much in their early years before they were 12. Wow. Believe it or not, there are actually films of some of the experiments. In fact, there was a uh, documentary made in the 50s by uh, the uh, USSR, and it's available on YouTube. I watched a little piece of it, and it's terrifying. They were living at the Medical Institute. The USSR Academy of Medical Sciences filmed a lot of these interactions. Now, was there any consideration at all about the fact that they were children who had obviously feelings and emotions and they were being tortured like was that considered in watching the film clips because they uh they actually encompass the early years of their infancy up through i don't know six seven eight nine years of age you can see the children growing up Mm -hmm. throughout this uh brief film clip and in watching how they presented it they made it look like they were uh saving these children's lives that they were caring for them and cleaning and washing and feeding. Mm -hmm. But then they start talking about the whole radioactive iodine thing, you know? So I think that they were convincing at least themselves and, and trying to convince the population or people that saw these films that they were actually doing these children some good. Yeah. God, that's terrible. Get ready for some snortles, dogs. At one point they began uh, trying to measure the motor skills of the twins And at this point in their development, Masha became noticeably disobedient as soon as the scientists began to do that. Masha became more disobedient the more that they grew. By the time they were toddlers and they were starting to be measured for motor skills and those types of experiments, she became very, Masha became disobedient. Dasha would lift the leg she controlled in response to a nurse's request Mm -hmm. to put socks on. Masha would ignore the caregiver and even throw the socks at the caregiver. As a result, Dasha quickly learned how to put the socks on for both of them. Sure. Oh, and I'm sorry. That just makes me feel like so often in uh, family dynamics that's what happens even if you're not connected at the torso yeah you know one kid makes up for the other one because you know you've got to you keep the peace and that's what dasha did during most of the life that they shared institutionalized as they grew older they met a woman named juliet butler and became friends with juliet and juliet claimed that masha 
she witnessed this herself, would scream threats at Dasha while physically attacking her. She would she would punch her sister in the face. Mm. She also said that Masha would uh, refuse, as they grew older, to let Dasha speak for herself. Every time Dasha would try to say something, Masha would interrupt her, tell her to shut up, and then tell whoever it was that she was talking to that Dasha was a liar and couldn't be trusted. Oh, wow. This was a complicated, uh, <laughs> very complicated relationship. For sure. She said that uh, in observing the girls, Masha compulsively lied and showed narcissistic tendencies. Even when they were really little, mm-hmm. Dasha was always willing to help and seemed to genuinely care about other people's feelings and was a very warm, loving child. Masha, on the other hand, uh, just would mock her and uh, be disobedient and you know insult her sister and mm-hmm. beat on her all the time. As a toddler, Dasha was always the first one to finish any kind of task that they were asked to do. Sure. Masha, not so much. As they grew older, Dasha continued to seek companionship and romance away from her sister. Masha would stubbornly push people away. According to Juliet Butler, her their, their twins' friend, mm-hmm. who, by the way, wrote several books about Masha and Dasha. It sounds to me like she was Dasha's friend and yeah. Masha was there because she didn't sound very friendly. She said when the girls were about 11, and this was according to an interview she gave with the Ottawa Citizen, Masha beat Dasha until her nose was bleeding and threatened to kill her. Dasha's only response was to attempt to clean up the blood once her sister fell asleep so that the hospital staff wouldn't know that it had happened. But that happened because Dasha had fallen in love with a, um, a fellow student. She wanted a relationship. Yeah. While she was attending the school for invalids, Dasha met a young man named Slava. Masha was just enraged. She hated the idea of Dasha having a boyfriend. As she grew older, Masha became very controlling. She would manipulate people. She would push them away. She would lie to them. She uh, All types of symptoms of, of her being psychopathic. Masha disapproved of Dasha's relationship with Slava, and she would physically attack him at times. Eventually, she drove him away, and Dasha tried to kill herself uh, by—she attempted to hang herself. Well, I suppose you feel like there's no getting out. Yeah, what do you do? And that's so often the way that anyone who's depressed to the point of considering suicide feels that there is no way out, that there's no getting better, there's no— turning point. Imagine being in a relationship with somebody who is violent, who is psychopathic, who is pathologically narcissistic, Mm. who is just a horrible person to be around, and then being physically attached to them. You can't go anywhere. Right. You're there all the time. And because of their narcissism, because of their traits... They're the, always attacking your person. Like she was always saying that Dasha was a liar and Dasha yeah. was yeah. not to be trusted, which is, you know, very typical of any sort of manipulative. Narcissistic. narcissistic. Yeah. I, well, that's projection. Yeah. It's a classic symptom of narcissism and a person's own insecurity, which I guess that's a big reason why some people are narcissistic is because inside they're very, very 
insecure. In some cases, they don't even realize they are. But what they do is they criticize other people for doing and being exactly what they do and are. Yes. So in many ways, Dasha was unable to live the life that she wanted. And Masha managed to control pretty much every second of their life, every aspect of both of their lives. And it appeared as they grew older that as Dasha became more attracted to men, Mm -hmm. Masha was more attracted to women. Mm -hmm. So you've got conjoined twins. One has one sexual orientation. One has another. One is an empath. Mm -hmm. One is a psychopath. Dinner around their table must have been weird. Yeah, well, consider the fact that they didn't have dinner around a table because they'd been stolen and were given this weird lab life. And how much did that contribute to the way that Masha was? It's hard to say. Yeah. They lived in five different state-run institutions over their 53 years of life. At one point, the sisters were released from the hospitals and the asylums that they'd been forcibly admitted to. And Dasha began drinking alcohol. Their friends said that what Dasha was doing was drinking so much alcohol in the hopes that it would get into Masha's system and sedate her so Mm -hmm. she would leave her alone, so she would pass out or get drunk enough to be unable to physically abuse her or verbally abuse her and strangers. Anybody that looked at them the wrong way, Mm. Masha would lash out at. Julia Butler said that uh, at times, Masha had been very affectionate with her, always covering her with kisses and nibbling her ear. And she said it was quite awkward. And as they grew older, uh, Masha always wanted to dress like men and wear her hair short. And Mm -hmm. she insisted that Dasha dress the same way and wear her hair that way and refuse to wear any makeup. That's the way she wanted to be. And she was forcing Dasha to do the same. Got it. Years later, they were able to reconnect with their mother. Their mother found out that the kids were were still alive and had been lied to. And she found them and they reconciled for about four years. But uh, ultimately, Masha drove her off. Right. Yeah. So after 53 years of life like this. Wow. They lived to be 53 years old. On April 17th in 2003, Masha suffered from a deadly heart attack and um, left Dasha in a very vulnerable state. Sure. She didn't know what to do. Doctors initially thought, well, we, we can separate you. But despite the doctors suggesting that, Dasha said no. She refused when within 17 hours, Dasha died from blood poisoning. Well, yeah, of course. As her body had been uh, contaminated by the toxins that were being given off by her sister's corpse. Now, um, did she refuse because it was scary or did did she refuse because she had been abused to the point where she didn't think she could live on her own? Was it? That wasn't made clear in this article that I read, mm-hmm. but my guess would be that, I mean, here's, here's a person that tried to end her own life, mm-hmm. was never happy. She was just tired. And yeah, and maybe felt, all right, that's good enough for me. And just let nature take its course. Well, that's not fun to speculate on. Hey, you brought it up. I'm just saying I want to understand. Yeah, there's a, a lot that is hard to understand in that. I get that at the time when these uh, children were born, mm. 
that they thought, okay, maybe we can learn something from this, from, from their situation. We can help them right. and at the same time learn things. But then it became, yeah, we don't really care about helping them. Let's just stick radioactive iodine in them and see what happens. Right. And they became, like, like you said, more lab animals than, uh, than human beings. They weren't treated like little babies. They were treated like experiments. Yeah. How the hell are they supposed to get along in the world? Right. But I find it fascinating that these two girls, conjoined twins, same genetic makeup, and so completely different. Yeah. It's fascinating. Sorry if that's a downer. I didn't. It's mean a it. wicked bummer. Yeah. Well, yeah. Yeah. I guess. Well, normally after a story like this, we would uh, we would do the pug snortles, but it seems as though I've been responsible for pug snortles uh, over the last few stories. Sorry about that. I don't know what happened, but uh, maybe this time instead of pug snortles, have you got that video of uh, of Simi our guinea pig? Oh, the Simi squeaks. Yeah. 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 Uh, How about some guinea pig uh, squeaks instead? I think that's a really good idea because the boys have finally settled yeah. down, yeah. and I don't want to rouse them. All right. Here's here's uh, here's Simi our guinea pig. How can that not make you feel better? <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> and now that thing in the middle. So I got an email from Lewis who said, I live in the village of Dix, Illinois. <laughs> he lives in Dix. The town motto is, come grow with us. I love that. <laughs> I'm sure there are a lot more other towns out there with weird slogans. I thought this might be a good thing in the middle. Well, you are correct. And we did a little research. Here we go. Number five, Hooker, Oklahoma. It's a location, not a vocation. <laughs> Number four, Gas, Kansas. Don't pass gas. Stop and enjoy it. Gettysburg, South Dakota, where the battle wasn't. <laughs> Number two, Keister, Minnesota, the hind end of Minnesota. And number one, San Andreas, California. It's not our fault. The Box of Oddities with Kat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth. I've got to tell you, the longer we've had our aura frame, the more I love it. I have kids, and they live about 3,000 miles away, and my daughter is expecting a child, and she has been sending me updates on her baby bump through the aura frame. And since I can't be there to experience it with her, it's the next best thing. And speaking of mothers, if you're looking for the perfect gift to celebrate your mom in your life, Aura Frames are beautiful Wi-Fi connected digital picture frames. It allows you to share and display unlimited photos. It's super easy to upload and super easy to share photos with the Aura app. And here's the thing, if you're giving Aura as a gift, you can even personalize the frame with preloaded photos and memories. We love Aura Frames and living so far away from family, thanks to Aura, it's the next best thing. It's like, it's like almost being there. And right now, Aura has a great deal for Mother's Day. Box of Oddities freaks can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off, plus free shipping on their best-selling frame. That's A-U-R-A-Frames.com. Use code Oddities at checkout to save. That's A-U-R-A-Frames.com and use code Oddities at checkout, and you will save. Thanks, Aura Frames, for bringing my family a little bit closer. 
This message is sponsored by Greenlight. You know, as your kids get older, there are some things about parenting that gets easier. I remember once hearing my sister tell my little niece, if you put your pants on, I'll give you some Fresca. And when kids can start to reason that they get something, if they do something right, it's a lot easier to manage them. Having that conversation about money with your kids, that's not the easiest thing in the world. Fact is, kids won't really know how to manage their money until they're actually in charge of it. And that's where Greenlight can help. Greenlight is a debit card and money app made just for families. Parents can send money to their kids and keep an eye on the kids' spending and savings. While kids and teens build money confidence and lifelong financial literacy skills. Your kids will learn how to save, invest, and spend wisely thanks to the games that teach kids skills in a fun, accessible way. When I was a kid, I had expected chores, and then I had bonus chores. And bonus chores were where I earned money. And so if you're thinking like, hey, my kids should be doing stuff around the house. Yeah, no, you're not wrong. But maybe there's extra ways that they can learn how to be a successful financial money person. What was one of the bonus chores that you had to do? (sighs) Rub my mom's feet. And what did that pay? I don't know, like a quarter or something. Millions of parents and kids are learning about money on Greenlight. It's the easy, convenient way for parents to raise financially smart kids and families to navigate their life together. Sign up for Greenlight today and get your first month free when you go to greenlight.com slash oddities. That's greenlight.com slash oddities to try Greenlight for free. Greenlight.com slash oddities. Hey there, I'm Dylan Lewis, one of the hosts of Motley Fool Money. Each weekday on Motley Fool Money, we talk through the business news you need to know and the stories moving stocks on Wall Street. On weekends, we dive into the industries shaping tomorrow and host the experts, authors, and executives that understand them. Tune in for insights, a long-term perspective on investing, and of course, stock ideas, plenty of them. To quote a listener, it pays to listen. Check us out and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Ever had David Letterman's former band leader, Paul Schaefer, try and steal your job? Didn't think so. This is The Box of Oddities. So we got a couple of messages about Skeletor. Ah, yes. The episode uh, (laughs) Skeletor was misunderstood. And of course, He-Man, Masters of the Universe, one of my favorite movies of all time. Well, it's a cinematic classic. Of course. Uh, Dolph Lundgren, A Moment for You. Courtney Cox. Couple moments for you. Excuse me? I'm <laughs> <laughs> just kidding. Uh, Johnny Strick, uh, 1112, sent us a message on Instagram. I heard you guys praising Skeletor in your latest box, and I thought you may enjoy my newest addition to my kitchen decor, which is a live, laugh, love photo frame. Uh, one of those collage photo frames. It's got like room for six pictures. Like the kind you see at like TJ Maxx. Yeah. Um, it says and live, love, laugh, and then you put your family photos in it. It says live, laugh, love. Right. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Not live, love, laugh. That would be insane. But anyway, <laughs> uh, it's filled with photos of Skeletor. So that's the best thing I've ever seen. Um, pretty you, sure. You are you are a freak, my friend. I love it so, so much. Someone else, Seasoned Witch, uh, messaged us and said that after that episode, Skeletor ads started popping up in her Instagram feed, (laughs) including an ad for a pin that has Skeletor, and it says, believe in your dreams, which I really like. 
So now we're manipulating people's uh, Instagram accounts unintentionally. Apparently. Oh, good Lord. (laughs) That's what it's like being an influencer. (laughs) (laughs) Let me ask you this. What you got for me? Okay. Well, it's interesting that your story came out of the USSR. Are we going back to the USSR? We, in fact, are going back. We don't know how lucky we are. I know. Back. Back. Back to the USSR. To the historic city of Yaroslavo, uh, which was developed into a major commercial center from the 11th century. So the historic part of this city, which is a World Heritage Site, uh, UNESCO says. Uh, By the way, I did get most of my information for this uh, from the UNESCO website. Uh, All that's interesting, life science, and of course, and we can hear Wikipedia. (laughs) 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 That's part of a musical that uh, Kat is writing called Wiki, Wiki, Wiki with exclamation points. Mm -hmm. Which a lot of people think is a reference to DJing, but it's actually a reference to the closed captioning at the beginning of Monty Python's Holy Grail. Wiki wiki. Anyway. Moving right along. It was a moose. A moose bit your sister? Uh, What was I saying? Oh, (laughs) yes. So it's a World Heritage Site. It's uh, located at uh, the the meeting of two rivers. It is one of the Golden Ring Cities, which is a group of historic cities northeast of Moscow that have played an important role in Russian history. Yaroslavo is renowned for its numerous 17th century churches and is an outstanding example of the urban planning reform Empress Catherine the Great ordered for the whole of Russia in 1763. Catherine the Great. We have to go here. I've thumbed through tons of images of the architecture here, of Mm. the buildings. It's incredible. We have to go. Okay. The Mongol army invaded Russia uh, in, in Yaroslavo, in the early 13th century, it was led by Batu Khan, who was the grandson of Genghis Khan and the founder of the kingdom known as the Golden Horde. So at his death in 1227, Genghis Khan divided the Mongol Empire amongst his four sons. The westernmost lands occupied by the Mongols, which included what is today southern Russia and Kazakhstan, were given to the eldest sons, Batu Khan, who eventually became the ruler of the Blue Horde, and Orda Khan, who became the leader of the White Horde. Now, in 1235, Batu and his group began an invasion westward. They, for, they were the white ones? The Blue Horde. The, the Blue Horde. Did yes. they have, like, team colors? I don't know if the colors were to represent only them in name or if they actually wore the colors. Can't it make, say. Make it a lot easier to keep score. For sure. I would think. Yeah. Mm. Well, they mostly kept score with fire and stuff. Oh, that's true. Yeah. So uh, they conquered the uh, Bashkirs and then moved on to uh, Volga, Bulgaria, and then from there uh, conquered some of the southern parts of the present-day Ukraine in uh, 1237. All right, wrapping up that old history lesson. Scholars have argued that Khan's Golden Horde peacefully acquired territory in Russia, including Yaroslavl. Come on, anything that has the word horde in it doesn't acquire stuff peacefully. Is it right? It kind of feels 
Like that's not accurate. No, it was the Blue Horde, not the Blue Subcommittee on Land Acquisition. Um, so Yaroslavl was, uh, taken over in 1238 and the evidence that's being discovered proves that it was not a committee land acquisition (laughs) kind of situation. Uh, I see. Yeah. Yeah. No. Excavation work at Yaroslavl from 2005 to 2006 determined that a massacre took place in February of 1238. Researchers reported recently at the Alexeyev Readings Conference held in August at the Anuchin Research Institute and Museum of Anthropology in Moscow that a bloodbath followed. Hundreds of people died horrific and violent deaths during this city's capture. Um, They were slaughtered brutally and dumped into mass graves as the town was completely sacked. After the slaughter, Mongol raiders buried the dead in pits by the dozens with no markers to distinguish who the people were. And um, this is according to Life Science. Uh, One pit of the dead in particular stood out after scientists of the Moscow Institute of Physics and Technology began genetically um, doing analysis on three of the corpses. So as I said, there were no markers to identify the individuals, but um, they used the analysis of the corpse uh, to discover that three of the dead, two women and one young man were close relatives, a mother, a daughter, and a grandson. Oh my. So in there was actually a fourth that they believe was uh, related, but they couldn't get a 100% uh, accuracy on that fourth one. But it looks like the matriarch of that trio was at least 55 years old. Her daughter was around 30 to 40, and the grandson was no more than 20. So in some cases, entire families were, were pretty much just wiped out. Uh, the grave held... The family's bodies. It was one of nine death pits in Yaroslavl. Further evidence of the murdered family's wealth was detected in their teeth. So their remains showed more advanced tooth decay than the other town folk, hinting that their diet included helpings of honey and sugar. Which was... It would have been a sign of status. A status thing. Yeah, yeah exactly. Right. And wealth. To a certain extent, Uh, according to the presentation, uh, this meant that it was indiscriminate, the the murdering, the slaughtering. It was just you were in the way. Yeah, we were just watching uh, a documentary last night about the Tudors Mm. and uh, their intake of sugar and how it was mostly the rich noblemen who had access to sugar during those times and their teeth rotted out and they died in many cases. Mm. Reminds me of an episode that we did a while ago. We're talking about various fashion trends from the past. And one of the things that people did during Elizabethan times was to black their teeth out because Queen Elizabeth I had a bit of a sweet tooth. Well, she did until they all fell out. Her teeth rotted, so they all wanted to look like the queen. Yeah, that's... That's weird. Yeah, I mean, I get wanting to... No, no, I don't get it. Mm Mm-mm. No. So uh, this is according to all that's interesting. Uh, Batu Khan invaded towns 
like I said, with just indifference. And they took more than a dozen places in present-day Russia. In just five years, he wiped out 7% of Russia's population. Wow. Yeah. When the Russian Grand Prince refused to submit to the Mongols... Is that thunder? Yeah. It's a thunderstorm on the lake, everybody. You want to hang out with us on the lake in Maine? During a thunderstorm? I love a good thunderstorm. Anyway, back to your story. We should probably finish it before the power goes out. Oh, good point. (laughs) Um, So the Russian Grand Prince refused to submit to the Mongols, and Genghis Khan's grandson simply burned the capital city to the ground with the royal family and every inhabitant inside. (gasps) No shit. That's, they did not take prisoners no, it was literally they, yeah there was there was no it was utter indifference prior analysis suggested that the three family members that we spoke of uh, were buried in 1238 but the species and stages of preserved maggots in the remains indicate that the flies were able to lay eggs on the corpses in warm weather well, what, what does this mean? Well, according to the article that I read in Live Science, Azia Ngovatova, head of excavations at the Yaroslavl site and deputy director of the Institute of Archaeology at the Russian Academy of Sciences, said that the people were killed and, quote, their bodies remained lying outside for a fairly long period of time. In April or May, flies started to multiply on the remains, and in late May or June, they were buried in a pit. So they think that the slaughter happened in February. Oh, my God. But the bodies weren't buried until May or June. And what is the estimated total of bodies that they think were just scattered about all nimbly bimbly? Oh, it was hundreds and hundreds. Hundreds and hundreds. No shit. The signs of brutality uh, were seen in the hundreds of buried bodies, their bones having been punctured, broken, and burned. By the time the Mongol invaders were done with Yaroslavl and the Russian town had fallen, according to Nguvatova, it was truly a city drowned in blood. Good Lord. So So they, they found fossilized maggots? Yeah, yeah. I didn't know that was a thing. Well, they weren't, I mean... Not fossilized, right. but what were they? They were They were known, it was like blowflies and such. Right, right. Um, but that was how they were able to tell that their remains had laid outside for a period of time before they were buried because the maggots were buried with them. But but what kind of remnant of, of maggot would remain after 900 years, 800 years? Oh, you know, things. I don't know. I don't understand how scientists figure out anything that they figure out. We were watching a thing about refrigerators the other day, and I still don't understand how it works. <laughs> well, it's it's a process of evaporative cooling. It evaporates and then I know condenses. those words. I can say that. It is an endless cycle of cooling and evaporating, and yeah, it's the right. gas that turns into liquid, and there's very right. specific uh, gases that right. can do that. I still don't know what it means. In the early days, they used ammonia, and refrigerator repairmen died all the time. Yeah. Because they would breathe ammonia gas. It's interesting that the few gases that can be converted into a liquid and back into a gas, creating that cooling, evaporating Mm. process Mm -hmm. over and over again, are all like crazy poisonous. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So don't go fiddling about in your fridge. No. That's our lesson for today, kids. (laughs) 
and also the title of this episode. Anyway, we look forward to seeing those of you who have tickets to any of our live shows. If you don't have your tickets yet, please, uh, if you are in the area, we'd love to see you. Uh, it's going to be a party. We're going to be in San Francisco, Boston, Charlotte, and Nashville this time around. <laughs> I love that you say it's going to be a party when literally I will cry up until it starts mm -hmm. and then we will leave and I will go to sleep. It's going to be like, woo! It will be for <laughs> the couple of hours that we're there. Hopefully anyway. But the only way to find out is if you go. And uh, we would love to see you. Theboxofoddities.com is where you can get your tickets. We really appreciate uh, those of you who have uh, reached out and let us know that you got your tickets. Yeah, yeah. And uh, we just, we are receiving merch and we're so excited about I'm yeah, just our, all the things. Our merch should be delivered tomorrow. Oh, my God. Mm -hmm. It's getting close. Yeah. And, and I looked at the shipping voucher. Mm-hmm. There's like six boxes of stuff coming. Yeah, we got to buy some shelves or something yeah. and a bigger suitcase. Yeah, if we have merch left over, um, I know what everyone's getting for the holidays this year. Right. <laughs> left oh, great. over. It's another left. box of Oddity shirt. <laughs> yeah. Thanks. Oh. <laughs> With their expired Halloween tour. Excellent. <laughs> uh oh. All right. Storm's picking up. We got to wrap this up. <laughs> box of oddities on your phone a couple times a week we look forward to seeing you on uh, thursday until then keep flying that freak flag fly proudly you beautiful freak and so let it be known that the box of oddities belongs to you and its fate is in your hands the box of oddities commits to the telling of stories stories of the strange the bizarre the unexpected we wish to offer our deeply felt gratitude and appreciation for your patronage. TheBoxOfOddities.com On Facebook at Facebook.com slash BoxOfOdditiesPodcast On Twitter at BoxOfOddities And Instagram at BoxOfOdditiesPodcast Copyright 2019. All rights reserved. Takuyi here. And I'm Gabby. And we are the hosts of History of Everything, a podcast which you can probably guess by the name is, well, I mean, it's about everything. Do you want to know why people thought potatoes were evil and would give you syphilis? Are you curious about all the stories of the terrible and stupid ways that people have kicked the bucket over the years? Do you want to hear tales about all of the different badasses of history and the lives that they had brought to life? Well, if so, then look no further. History of Everything is just the right podcast for you. It's available on Spotify, Pandora, and anywhere else that you get your podcast from. Join us for some fun and just see how weird and wacky history can be. Hi, I'm Neil. And I'm Ken. And we are from the Triviality Podcast, a pub trivia style game show where a lack of seriousness meets a little bit of knowledge. Join us each week for an hour-long game of general knowledge trivia featuring special guests from around the world, plus tons of extra themed episodes. If you want to improve your trivia game, or you just want to scream at us in your car when we get easy questions wrong, then we're the show for you. Find Triviality on all your favorite podcast apps. But you know that, because you're already listening to a podcast.